Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. So over the last several weeks now, we have been walking through the words of Jesus on the cross. And we've been talking through the different phrases and things that he said, at least the recorded phrases that we have from the word of God, right? Uh, There may have been other things that were stated or or uttered, but but in the word of God, we have seven phrases that we have recorded uh, of of words that that Jesus spoke. And oftentimes they're referred to as the seven words from the cross or they're referred to as just the words from the cross. And so we've been walking through this and we are now in the fifth week of this series. And it's crazy to think that we've already made it this far and that there's just a few weeks left until until Easter, when then we talk about a risen Savior after he's off the cross and then buried and then resurrects. This is this incredible story that we're walking through that is more than just a story, right? This is, this is what our faith hinges on. This is what our salvation hinges on, is this, this whole Passion Week moment, right? And these, the, the, the death and the, the burial and the resurrection, all of this is what our faith is built upon. And so as we've walked through this, we've seen how, how it's about salvation and forgiveness, how it's about uh, a, a need for family and this closeness that, that we see through the phrases of Jesus. It's about how, how sometimes there's those moments where we feel separate from God, where we feel that distance as we talked about last week when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's that, that feeling of distance that we feel sometimes in those seasons that we walk through, right? And there's closer moments and further moments. And today we're going to continue as we walk through the rest of, of where we are, as we, we jump into back in the book of John today. But I enjoy watching certain movies, right? There's movies that you just love, movies that you just like, you really get into. One of my favorite movies of all time is The Count of Monte Cristo. I absolutely love that movie, right? It's just this really great, it's not biblical, the idea of revenge and vengeance and whatnot, you know. Uh, however, it is highly entertaining. It is an incredible movie. I love the story, it's fantastic. But, but I love movies a lot of times that, that you know that the hero can't lose, right? I, it's just the American in me, I guess, just wanting this happy ending, right? And you go, it's not real life. It doesn't always work out that way. And I'm like, yeah, but it really makes for a great movie. So I enjoy it, right? And having those, those movies where you walk out feeling ultra motivated and super pumped up, like, yes, I can take on the world. You know what I mean? And you just leave going, like you just left some Tony Robbins convention and you're like, I'm so motivated right now. This is so good. You know, I'm about to just tackle everything in front of me and we're going to go win the day, you know? And I love those kind of movies. I especially love those movies when it's about a real person, and you go, man, this is a real person that, that you know, whether it's a made-up character or not, you go, they're not a superhero. They're just a, norm, a normal human being, like Batman. <laughs> just a normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill, multi-billionaire that has access to the greatest weapons and tools of all time, right? But he's just a normal person. And you know, at the end of the day, Batman's not going to die. He's going to win, at the end of the day, Batman is going to defeat the Joker and he's going to have him laughing all the way to Arkham Asylum or whatever it is, right? It's this whole deal of just this, this normal human being, right, that is not going to lose. I think sometimes we, we almost view these stories and we look at these things as if they're like these superhumans, 
right? To where they're almost as if, you know, they, they, they just can't lose. Even when you take normal stories, like real stories, and they glorify the actual person that the story's about, right? And they, and they, they make it seem as if they're just the greatest person in the world. There's, years ago, there was a, a video put out called Real Men Don't Look at Explosions. They just blow it up and walk away, right? And it's taken from the idea of like these movies and you got like MacGyver, right? Or the TV show MacGyver, you remember that back in the 80s? Um, I remember it so well because I'm so old. And, um, but anytime something would explode, he would never like stare and watch like, oh, look at it. No, it would blow up and you'd just be walking away, right? It's this superhuman persona. And I think sometimes we do the same thing with Jesus, and, and, and rightfully so to the, to the extent that, yes, he is God, and he is fully deity, but I think we neglect the fact that he was also fully man. And we fail to add that into the equation at times when it comes to Jesus and the crucifixion. We view it simply as our Savior, as our Lord, as our God, and that's good and that's right, but we neglect the fact that he was fully man. He was fully human. And that he felt everything. He walked through the pain and the hurt of all of it. And he did it for you and I. I want to look this morning in, in John chapter 19 where, where John records uh, the crucifixion and, and the death of Jesus. And we'll just look at verse 28 today is where we're going to be. And it says in John 19, 28, it says, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that we get to take a moment and take time and study your word and hear what you had to say in a moment on the cross. So Father, I pray that our hearts will be open to hear what you have to say. God, I pray that today we will be encouraged by your words, that we'll be strengthened by your words. And we ask, oh God, that your Holy Spirit will be poured out on us and that you'll anoint my lips today as I speak. So Father, use these words in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. He said the words, I am thirsty. Now this is after the moment when Jesus had just said to his mother, he said, woman, behold your son. And and then he said, behold your mother to, to the beloved disciple, right? This is just after that. And it literally the very next line, it says, knowing that everything had been fulfilled, like knowing everything had been done, It was finished, right? This is prior to, he has not quite yet said the words, it is finished. But in this moment, he knows what has been done, has completed. He has done what was asked of him to do. He is now at that moment. And and then in a moment of the most uh, surreal and showing of his humanity, the deepest moment of showing his humanity, he says, I am thirsty. This phrase reveals his humanity more than any other phrase that we find on the cross. This phrase reveals how natural, how human he was on the cross than than any other phrase that that he says. So we see him hanging on the cross. Now, the scholars kind of debate and, and, and kind of talk about whether or not Jesus had eaten since the Last Supper at this point or had anything to drink since the Last Supper at this point. We have no record of him doing so. And odds are, being that he was arrested shortly after the Last Supper and he was taken into custody and then put on trial and then beaten, there is a good chance that at this moment, Jesus has not consumed anything since the Last Supper. Now, that's not necessarily hard fact, but it is a very strong possibility that there's been nothing consumed by Christ until until he receives from the the soldier shortly after the statement, just the little bit of of wine and vinegar that he receives. 
So here he is, a man that has been beaten, who has been mocked, who's had a crown of thorn placed on his head, and has been hung on a cross and is being bled out. And we know that he was, was, was sweating blood prior to this moment. He is literally giving everything his body has to give. And I'm sure he was so, so parched and completely dried up from the inside out that he feels thirst. We don't find moments of Jesus complaining in the scripture. Jesus is not a complainer. I think this is a moment where we see true vulnerability from Jesus as a human, as a man. It reveals his humanity to us. We see Jesus there hanging on the cross and he finally gets to the moment where he goes, I've done it all. Everything has been completed and I'm thirsty. In the first century, there, there arose a belief that Jesus was not actually human, but he was more of like a phantom where he was really just all spirit, but he presented himself as a human in, in, in like this human body form that could be touched, but he's not really spirit. And, and the reality is if that were to be true, if that were the case, there would be no hint of thirst or need for food, right? Because the spirit does not require any physical nourishment. I can't go drink a glass of water and feel spiritually refreshed. I can't go eat a meal and feel spiritually full. It doesn't work in those ways. It doesn't work in that that manner. And so in the same way, Jesus couldn't be stating in this moment as as a phantom being who is really not enduring pain, but is acting out as if he is feeling the pain, would not say, you know, I'm thirsty. I feel as if he was trying to act to be something. It would, it, the thirst would not be what he was trying to portray in this moment. This, this statement so reveals the humanity of Christ that, that, that it, it, it helps us to, to gain understanding of where he's coming from when it comes to our hurts and our needs and our pains. He feels it. He's human. He endured all that he could before he finally said, okay, I need something. This is all I can take. This is all I can bear. This is all I can handle. I am to the point now where I am stating before everybody here, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. He's clinging to life at that moment, literally hanging on to what little life he has left. And have you been in that moment before where your throat is so dry? Where your mouth is so dry that it is almost hard to even utter words. Where you go, I I don't even have, there's not even enough moisture on my vocal cords to try to make a sound. There's not even enough moisture in my mouth to try to move my mouth and and, and to to make things happen. I've had moments where my mouth was dry, but if I swallow one time real fast, you know, and I go, okay, maybe now I can say something. But Jesus is in this moment where he's so drained and so parched. There's nothing to swallow. There's no saliva any longer at this point because he has given everything from his body. He has poured out all that he has left and he just must what little strength or moisture he can to be able to utter the words, I'm thirsty. I want you to gain and understand that, that, that this is a true act of a human being hanging on a cross. It was not some, you know, meet Joe Black scenario where he, he took up somebody's body that got hit by a bus and then put his spirit in it and he's like walking. No, this is not like that in, in the least bit. This is a, a true man who is now grown up from a human perspective and was born into this world and now walks his way through. He is a living person, a human being who is sacrificially giving himself 
Let me remind you again that he did this for you and I. His thirst reveals his humanity to us. He gives us permission to thirst with his statement. He gives us permission to thirst. What do I mean by that? We see Jesus there in that moment. He's broken. He's hurting. He is, he is as low as he could ever possibly be in this moment. Apart from the spiritual side effects of what he has taken on in this moment of taking on sin and taking on the weight of, of all of humanity's sin. Apart from that, the physical side only in this moment. He is at the lowest moment of his life. He is feeling more pain than he's ever felt. He's got more hurt than he's ever endured, more more weight than he's ever had to carry when he's gone through the process of of being beat, of being mocked, of carrying his cross to the point of of having to have someone else carry the cross for him because he is not physically capable of doing it any longer to where they're laying him or throwing him onto the cross to nail him to the cross and they raise him up there and he is given all he can give. And he says, I'm thirsty. Have you ever had a moment where you felt you've given all you can give? And you just want to say, I'm thirsty. And it's that recognition of the pain you feel. It's that recognition of the hurt that you are enduring. The recognition of the hurt that you're carrying. Of what you're walking through and you're saying, I'm thirsty. Jesus in that moment gives us permission to admit when we need something. Jesus himself admitted, I need something. I'm thirsty. So we don't have to take on this idea that we now have to be superhumans because we've received Christ. You know, receiving Christ does not make us immune to life. It doesn't make us immune to the world we walk in and the hurts and the pains that come with this world, right? And Jesus is saying, it's okay to admit when you are in need. It's okay to, to say, I need something. It's okay to admit that, that I don't have what I need in this moment and I'm feeling it. Jesus gives us permission to thirst. I was about eight or nine years old and uh, we were getting ready for church camp at my house and, and I was trying to be a responsible eight, nine-year-old, whatever age I was, and I was gonna start packing my own bag for camp. This was a big deal, right? Because it was Sunday afternoon, and in those days we had Sunday night church. You remember those days when we had Sunday night services, right? And so uh, my dad, being the pastor, was, had already left to go to the church uh, and, and was you know, getting things ready there. My mom was getting ready for church, and we were leaving Monday morning for church camp. Like, this is a big deal, right? I'm, I'm pumped up. I'm excited. Church camp is tomorrow. So my mom's getting ready for church. She was on the worship team, and so uh, she was you know, about, to, we're about to leave there pretty sh- you know, shortly thereafter. And, and I'm gathering at whatever things I'm thinking like, I'm going to need this. I'm going to need this. And I remember going into our restroom and we had a cabinet above the toilet and in, in, in the hall bath there. And I climbed up on top of the toilet because I was going to get towels out that I needed to take to camp. And, and this uh, was a, a big moment for me because I'm being responsible, right? I'm doing this on my own. So I grab the towels and I throw them down onto the counter where the sink was. And I jump off of the toilet and I landed on the buckle of a belt. And this is where it gets good. The little metal part that goes through the hole went through my foot. Now, I will tell you, as an eight or nine-year-old kid, I may have been slightly dramatic. 
Just a, maybe a little bit, maybe just a little bit. And I remember my mom's back in her bathroom, back around this corner, the other part of it, she's probably blow drying her hair, oblivious to me, all of a sudden crying out and going, Jesus, help me. And I'm not making this up. This is literally what I said in the moment. And, and I look down, and to me, it's like the worst thing in the world. I'm surprised it's not protruding through the top of my foot, and I'm gonna, it's going to require surgery. It's probably going to be amputated eventually, and I'm just going to live with one foot, right? This is where my mind goes as a nine-year-old. Again, slightly dramatic mindset of, at the time. And so I, I, I hobble, literally like hobble, almost crawl into my parents' bathroom, and I'm like, Mom. <laughs> and mind you, at the end of it, it is one of the smallest little like wounds you've ever seen in your life. But in my mind, I can't go to camp. <laughs> This is a terrible moment. All is, all is falling apart. My world is crashing in on me. I can't go to camp now because I have a, a cut in the bottom of my foot. <laughs> it's going to be a big deal. And I go in and I'm like, Mom, did you hear me? <laughs> she was like, no, I didn't hear you. I was like, I hurt my foot. I said, Jesus, <laughs> help me. And she was like, let me see it. You know, I, I, she's like holding back laughter, as, you know, as none of y'all did. Thank you. Um, and this, I'm just kidding. She's, she's holding it back. And, and I remember going, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't go to camp. How am I going to swim? Right? Like that's the big deal because I want to swim at camp. All my friends are going to swim. And I remember it being so bad that at church that night, I went up to my dad after service and was like, dad, I need prayer. <laughs> this is a true story. Like none of the, I wish I was making up some of this and it's not made up at all. I was definitely dramatic. My dad was like, all right, let's pray for you, buddy. We're going to pray. And he gathered some of the other pastors and they prayed for my foot. And it was a miracle. By morning, it had scabbed over. And, and, and all was well. And I went to camp. And I remember going and, and telling my counselor, I don't think I can swim because I hurt my foot. And he's like, ah, the chlorine will be good for it. You know? and, and it was like, I swam. And I was like, oh, it was. He just received revelation from the Lord. Right? You know, this is where my mind was, this whole deal. But I, I say that only because this is to help lighten the mo- mood for a moment, but understanding that there are times when it is okay for us to recognize our need for something and our need for Jesus. And yes, that story is funny and, 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 and very true, but, but there are times when, when I almost wonder if, if Jesus is like, if you would just stop for a moment and cry out that you're thirsty and that you need me. Jesus is saying, I understand. I can sympathize with you. He goes, I've been thirsty. I've been thirsty. You have permission to be thirsty. You have permission to have need. You have permission to, to be in a moment and in a place where you're saying, Father, I need you. I need something. I don't, I don't even know fully what it is. Jesus didn't say, could somebody pre- please bring me a glass of water? No, he just said, I'm thirsty. I, I don't care what it is. I just need something I need some form of refreshing. I need something wet to touch my lips. I, don't, I, don't, I just need something. And Jesus, in that moment, is giving us permission to recognize our need for something. To recognize that there are times when we just need to say, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. The third thing in this first point is that we need to understand who said these words. We need to understand who said these words. Remember, it's still Jesus. Yes, it reveals his humanity to us. Understand that. It reveals his humanity, but understand he is still Jesus at the end of the day. He's not just a a human figure at this moment. The spirit of God has not been withdrawn from him and he is no longer deity. He is still, in fact, Jesus. Charles Spurgeon says this. 
He says, know you not that it was he who balanced the clouds and who filled the channels of the mighty deep? He said, I thirst. And yet in him was a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Yes, he who guided every river in its course and watered all the fields with grateful flowers. He, it was the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, before whom hell trembles and the earth is filled with dismay. completely forsaking his deity in this moment and succumbing to his physical felt need. He cried out, I thirst. He's denying himself the privileges of being God in this moment. In this moment, he could simply just say, father, I I need you to send your angels to come and care for me. I just need something. I'll continue to hang on the cross. I'll continue completing what you've called me to do. But if you could just send someone to refresh me. Or, or, or simply put, he could have just had something poured out so that, that, that he could have received what was needed, right? But he forsakes his deity. He forsakes his, his sense of being God in this moment and, and gives in to the human hurt that he was feeling and the thirst that he was enduring. So his thirst reveals his, his humanity to us. The second thing is this, his thirst quenched our thirst. You and I are delivered from the terrible thirst that devoured us. So yes, there's a physical thirst that he's, he's enduring. There is a physical thirst that he's walking through. And, and that does reveal his humanity because it is, it is in that, that, that realm of physical pain and hurt that he's walking through that he reveals his thirst to us. But it goes so much deeper than that. There is a spiritual thirst. Remember, think of this. For the first time in the life of Jesus, he who knew not sin now knows sin, right? For the first time in his life and the first time on the planet and the first time in his greater existence ever, he has now taken on sin. For the first time ever in the existence of Jesus, he is now feeling the weight of sin. He is now feeling the separation where the father has now kind of, in a sense, turned his back to where he's like, I can't, I can't because there's sin now. There's this separation that sin causes, right? For the first time, he is feeling the weight of the sin that we all carry. And he says, oh, I thirst. I thirst. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how John likes to use imagery and how he likes to weave things in and out of his, out of his, his gospel. And, and so many things are tied and connected together. The, the idea of, of this living water and, and this need and this thirst is, is not on accident, right? It is not by, by chance that he wrote it this way. I think one of the greatest things and the greatest stories that we can parallel this with would be in John chapter four, where we have the woman at the well. In John 4, 11, and we'll pick up here. This is at the moment after she's already kind of talked through a lot of things with Jesus. And, and he's like, give me something to drink. And, and she's like, you, she says this, and starting in verse 11. She says, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can I get you this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. 
He said, you see that well that you're about to pull the water from? You, you come here every single day, right? Am I right? And, you know, it's essentially what he's saying. She's, he's like, over and over, you have to come back to this well. You have to keep drinking. He said, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. In this moment, I don't know that she fully understands the water that she's asking for. I think in this moment, she's asking for this water so that she can uh, not subject herself to ridicule and, hum- and, and, and like humility any longer. She's going, I, I don't want to have to go to the well because this woman is somebody who, who Jesus tells her, he says, you know, go get your husband. She's like, well, I don't have a husband. And he's like, you're right, you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands and the man you live with now is not your husband, right? And she goes, goes through this whole deal with him. And so here she is completely, uh, she's going at, at the wrong time of day to avoid count, you know, encountering any other women at the well, right? So she's, she's trying to hide herself from public humiliation as much as possible. And so she's saying, oh, give me this water so I don't have to keep coming back here because she doesn't understand that there is a deeper thirst within her. She doesn't feel that there is a greater need within her. And Jesus is revealing that to her in this moment. But what she's saying is, I have been trying to fill this thirst time and time and time and time again, only to find myself still thirsty and having to return to this well over and over and over again. And Jesus says, see, you're drinking from the wrong water. You're trying to satisfy your thirst with the wrong water. The water I have is eternal life. The water I have is an everlasting spring that wells up with inside of you. And, and it just pours out and it pours out and pours out. And you never feel the need to drink from that water again. See, in our own lives, there are time and time and time and time again when we try to satisfy our thirst with things, with money, with possessions, with promotions, with, 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 with titles and with reputation and so many different things that we just go, if I could just have this, if I could just get to here, if I could just make this change or this leap to this next level, I will be satisfied. And Jesus is saying, you're drinking from the wrong well. You're drinking from the wrong well. You're drinking from the wrong water. And the only way we had access to this water was through the thirst that Jesus had on the cross. In that moment, he tells the woman, he says, you know, here's, here, this is the water you're looking for. And in the moment on the cross, when he gives up himself fully, we all have access to that water. We all have access to that water. In the beginning, she doesn't understand what it is she's asking for. In the beginning, she doesn't realize what it is she's wanting. She's just wanting to be done with the shame. She's wanting to be done with the ridicule and the looks from the other people. She wants to have to no longer have to return to that well. That's the one part that she got right, except that she didn't realize that the well Jesus was speaking of was, was a figurative well and not an actual physical well that she could go to. You know, she was, she was like, I, I don't want to return here anymore. I don't want this anymore. And he's like, you're on the right track. You're, you're getting there. You're, you're starting to put the pieces together. You're starting to, to figure out what it is I'm pointing you to. And to the end, to the point of where she goes and says, truly, you are the Messiah. Truly, you are the Messiah. And she runs and she tells everybody else in the village, come and meet a man who has told me everything I've ever done. Has there ever been a moment in your life when you've been excited to go and tell somebody that you met somebody who knew everything you've ever done wrong, right? And this is that moment she's like, this guy knows all of my dirty secrets. He knows everything. 
everything that I've done wrong. You've got to meet this guy because there was something that had shifted and changed. No longer was she trying to fill herself up with something to remove shame and ridicule or to separate herself from everybody. But now she has fully embraced it and taken it on and said, this is a man who did away with it all. He revealed it to me. He told me everything. I didn't say a word. And he just starts reading. You need to meet this man because there is something that shifts and changes when we encounter Jesus in the everlasting water that he pours out. It was life changing. It wasn't just simply a drink that she received, but it was eternal life that she received from Christ. His thirst allows our thirst to be quenched. It's through him that we can have our thirst quenched. We can try and try and try to quench our thirst or to to feed our appetite on so many other things, but none of them will ever satisfy like Jesus. Like Jesus. We don't know the ins and the outs of her relationships. She could have been a widow five times. We don't know that. And maybe the biggest shame she had was that she was living with a man then who wasn't her husband. We don't know the the ins and the outs of those relationships. We just know that that she constantly had a need to return to another and to another and to another. And Jesus is saying, stop going to that well. Come to the well that I have. Come drink from the water that I have. And the next thing is this. His water only creates a new thirst for more of him. His water creates a new thirst for more of him. There's been so many different people and stuff that I've, I've come across with and talked to. And it's the neatest thing in the world when you see somebody who comes to Christ for the first time and they've been pulled out of like the worst of the worst situations, right? Where you go, I was this, I was that, I was de- dealing with that, I was battling. And, and all of a sudden, there's just this incredible transformation. I always, in these moments, I always think of my, my brother-in-law, Eric. Eric pastors a church now in, in Lake Dallas, but Eric's story is incredible. I, and I, I've shared just only bits and pieces of it, but, but Eric had done anything and everything you could think of. I remember one time playing, we were playing golf and my nephew was with us and he was in seventh grade at the time. And uh, my, my brother-in-law, Eric said, Ethan, what grade are you going to be in? And he's like, I'll be in seventh grade. And he goes, man, you don't want to know what I was doing in seventh grade. It's, you know, it's one of those kind of stories where Ethan was this really good kid, and he still is. But, but my brother-in-law, Eric, was, was on every kind of drug. He was stealing cars, like just all these different things. And you go, man, our stories are totally different. They're totally opposites, right? But I remember the day, it was, it was actually, it's a really easy day to remember. It was my dad's birthday of the year Eric and I graduated high school, which would have been March 23rd, 2002. And that was the day that Eric gave his heart to the Lord. Now, this is one of those cool stories where you see somebody who is, is addicted to drugs, who's, who's running and, and st- selling drugs, doing all, just everything you could think of, right? He, was, he had already been arrested. He was on parole. And so that's why he's out. He's on probation and this whole thing. And he's only 18 years old at the time. In that moment, in that morning, Eric walks down to the front of the altar and he gives his heart to the Lord. And I, when I say immediate deliverance, it was incredible. The Spirit of God hits Eric and there was complete deliverance and, and just set free of addictions and set free of years of hurt and, and heartache in, in his past. And, and God just did an incredible number. And I wish he did it that way every time. And I know that's not the case for every person. But in that moment, Eric encountered Jesus in the most real way you've ever seen. And it wasn't the end result. That wasn't the last moment for Eric, right? That wasn't, hey, I got what I need. I'm going to head out the door and just, you know, go live my life and do it. No, 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 no. It built in him a thirst 
for more and more and more of Jesus. And I think what happens with us is as we draw closer to the Lord, we go, man, I just want more of that. Because we step out of our own way of doing things. We step out of our our own way of trying to fix things and make it happen in our own way of, of trying to make it through every day of life. And we step into the flow of Christ. We step into that river and we'll begin to move with him. And we go, man, I just want more. I just want more. And it's a, it's a thirst that, that is the most, uh, uh, you can't satisfy it fully because it just leaves you wanting more in the best way possible. See, Jesus didn't come to just quench our thirst one time. No, he, he, he gave us this thirst from then on, right? We, we quench it with Christ and we go, oh, I want more of that. It's as if his, 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 his blood is just it is sweeter than any honey you've ever known. And you just go, I need more of that. I need more of that. I need more of that. His thirst quenched our thirst, but his, his, in that, it creates in us a new thirst for more. I think once we recognize the only thing that satisfies our thirst, it just gives you a desire for more and more and more and more and more, right? Whenever it gets really hot here, you know, well, it's Texas, who knows? It could be tomorrow. And I, there's times, you know, you go out and you mow the yard, and, and, and it can get really hot. And we know that, right? August is a beating, and we just go... You still have to mow the yard like once because mostly it's dead by then. But you do your best, right? And you mow the yard, but you just, you're pouring sweat, right? And you're just so hot. And I, uh, one of my favorite parts is being done because then you come in and you just take like the largest drink of ice cold water that you could get your hands on and you just like down it, right? You just guzzle it and you're just like, and you just feel it, like you feel it go all the way down at that moment. You're like, I am so hot. I feel how cold this is all the way. This is so great. You know, it's that moment. And, and I found that you can never just like sip on it at that time, right? You, you go and you're like, hmm, that, that's not going to cut it. You go, man, that was great. And then you go, oh, yep, yep. And before you know it, it's just like, you just bottoms up and you're just downing it. You know what I'm saying? It's the same way when you experience Christ in a way that is quenching your thirst. You go, I just need more. I just need more. A little sip doesn't cut it. A little sip doesn't satisfy. You go, I just need more. I need more. I need more. And there's this, this uh, just unable to quench that thirst fully. And it is the best feeling in the world. Because while you're satisfied, you're still thirsty. You go, man, I, I just need more of this. I'll invite the worship team. See, Jesus' thirst is, is, is perplexing to so many people as they go, man, but he is, he is God. And yes, he is God, but, but, but there is a true physical hurt and a true physical feeling that he walks through of, of, of this pain that he do, endures and, and, and feels and to the point of saying, I'm thirsty. And so, yes, it reveals his humanity, but it goes so much deeper than just the physical need of thirst. It says, I feel what you feel. I know what it means to be thirsty. It's more than just Jesus being able to sympathize. He can fully empathize. Because when he took on sin, can you imagine for the first time feeling the weight of sin? Now, we've all grown up in it. We've all lived it. And we're like, hey, we got that sin thing down, Jesus. We can show you how to do it. And Jesus is saying, for the first time in my life, hanging on the cross, I felt it. And it hurt my spirit. My soul was thirsting. It was thirsting for the Father. It was thirsting for His Spirit. It was thirsting for what only He could satisfy. 
And we find that when he says, I thirst, it created a way for our thirst to be quenched. Because when Jesus gives up himself and then he goes to the grave and and we know that that he then ascends into the depths and, and he defeats sin, he defeats death, and he stands victorious at the end of it all and says, I have overcome. I love that when, when Jesus says, in this world, you're going to face so much stuff. He's like, you're going to go through everything you can imagine. It's going to be terrible. It is awful what you're going to experience in this world. And if he would have left it at that, it would have been one of the most like discouraging verses in the Bible where you go, thank you, Jesus. You've pointed out to us that life is going to be hard. He's like, man, it's going to be, it's going to be bad. And then he, but he doesn't stop. That's what's so great about Jesus is he never just leaves it. He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. He says, your thirst is quenched. I have given a way to give you water. To give you water when you need it most. Give you water when you need it most. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, Father, we thank you again that you sent your son to die for us. Jesus, that you, you hung there for us. That you hung there for us. That you endured, truly endured physical pain. You truly endured physical, physical hurt to the point, God, that, that everything in you was poured out physically. There was nothing left in you to be poured out. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.